0: This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com
1: Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots of Spectators' daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Fraser Nelson and James Heal. It never rains, but it pulls for Rishi Sunak as the Court of Appeal has come back today and ruled against a Rwanda asylum plan. Um, The court has found that it is unlawful, ultimately raising concerns about the safety of asylum seekers there and where they could then be deported. And this comes after a High Court judgment which found it was lawful. Now Rishi Sunak says he will take this to the Supreme Court. Fraser, what's your reaction?
2: This is pretty significant, I think. Um, It comes the week after the inflation figures and when those figures came out. My understanding is that Rishi Sunak decided he was probably going to miss his inflation target. This is one of his five pledges to half inflation over the course of the year. When he made that pledge, inflation was set to be 3% at the end of the year. He needed it to be 5.5. Now it looks like it's going to be higher. So therefore, all his hopes at that point were on the Stop the Boats pledge. His Stop the Boats pledge depended, certainly, for anything to happen this year, he would have needed the Rwanda decision to go his way. The theory is that as soon as the flights start taking off... It sends a chill factor and because people stop paying people traffickers 10, 15 grand to make an illegal crossing if there's a reasonable chance they're going to end up in a hostel in Kigali. Now this, by the way, I think is quite rational to think that the Rwanda deportations would have hit the small boat arrivals because ever since deportations to Albania started, arrivals from Albania have dropped off a cliff. So I think there was a scenario, certainly a couple of months ago, where I thought that the um, Court of Appeal would rule for Sinek, after all the High Court, with some pretty senior judges, all found his scheme to be perfectly legal. So it's a big surprise that two out of three judges in the Court of Appeal decided that it wasn't, and for this they cite Home Office guidance. The Home Office is saying that basically the UNHCR, Human Rights Council, is should be deciding what's a safe place and what's not, and the UN thinks Rwanda isn't safe because there's a reasonable chance of people being deported from Rwanda back to somewhere else. Now, in theory, the um, Court of Appeal has said that it is okay to deport people who arrive here legally to another country. For example, if Norway had decided to take in everybody that arrives here illegally, then there would be no legal problem with that on the terms set out today. So the scheme is fine, but as other countries around the world have found, there aren't that many places willing to accommodate Asylum seekers. Rwanda is pretty much the only one. And Denmark did a deal with Rwanda, but then didn't go through with it. So now we've got Rishi Sunak, who is facing an embarrassment, a big embarrassment. That is, five pledges now all stand to be missed. Inflation isn't going to half. There's going to be no growth to speak of. Debt certainly isn't going down. NHS waiting lists are now going up as a result of a doctor's strike. And the small boats, rather than being stopped, look like being even worse than they were last year. So we could spend the rest of the year seeing the small boats turn into the kind of new PO ferrying them um, ferrying 40,000 people across this year and just on Monday the Home Office released figures suggesting that the average cost of accommodating people here could rise to £180 a person or £30 million a day. Those are not figures you're likely to find in Tory pamphlets, the figures you're likely to find in Labour pamphlets up the next
1: election. So on that positive note James, where does the Liz- this now leave the government in terms of options?
0: Well, I think really it's going to be carry on with the plan because you've seen it came out very swiftly after the decision was handed down and said we we're going to fight this in the supreme court but as you wrote about in the spectator katie you know the original hope was that it could be flights as soon as september And i think going along we have seen constantly this kind of optimism from government since the round of plan was announced in the spring last year it's now been about a year or so and we're not talking about flights until about october or november at the very very earliest we'll go to the supreme court i think uh, you know, it's previously noted the spectator how the supreme court has kind of changed obviously there was the Hale court when she was president of the supreme court it was much more it was seen perhaps as a rather more sceptical of the government and more activist in getting involved so perhaps there's some hope there within government circles about what the Lord Reed's court is going to rule on but really it's basically going along with the Supreme Court uh, appeal seeing how that pans out but then also trying to find other third countries to process these claims though of course it has been again a year or so we haven't seen any other countries sort of rushing up to uh, try and process these migrants.
2: It will take time as well by the time the Supreme Court rules we're talking next year yeah. So whatever happens, there is, aren't going to be any flights taking off this year. So Rishi Sunak will be having the anniversary of his five pledges, having a year of um, where you might end up with even more small arrivals than there were think,
0: I think also the point is that the, the whole point of the Rwanda scheme is a deterrent. And, of course, most, most migrants arrived during the summer. So, you know, the whole point was that this was going to probably be in place across the summer when most arrivals came, and instead, as you say, Fraser, we're talking the end of the winter when, you know, there are not many migrants arriving, so the practical effects of the weather.
1: Um, now, we should point out that the uh, decision was split. Yeah. So you had two of the judges, two of the free judges, uh, ultimately saying it was not lawful, but the Lord Chief Justice, who's most senior of the free, ultimately... Um, keeping the high court ruling now there are not the numbers there but that does suggest phrase that the the scheme is not dead it's just become much harder politically for rishi sunak in terms of the build-up but the supreme court could, could still see something happening
2: that's the hope in number ten. That the high courts, when they found in favour of the government, they were pretty senior judges, and today the Lord Chief Justice has also found in favour of the government. So on that basis, there's optimism that first of all the Supreme Court will go their way, and secondly they might to get they might get some expedited hearings. They might get this faster than they otherwise would do. But the thing is, Katie, if you were I remember reading in your column how you said September was the earliest date they could hope for. Yeah. Now even that they would have struggled to really make much of a difference to the small boat's arrivals through the calendar year. Rishi Sunak will, it was in January he made his five pledges. It's January he'll have to revive them. And now he's left with pretty much the only thing he can say, which is that he didn't say when these five pledges would be met. I thought he said end of the year. Well, he said that for inflation, but he didn't say, but if, um, but you know, I think some supporters of Rishi Sunak would say that the other four pledges did not have a deadline. So any time before 2080 might be seen as a victory.
1: And if there is no progress, Ultimately, you also have the illegal migration bill going through the House of Lords at the moment. The government at uh, peers last night putting in amendments that will have to be stripped in the House of Commons if the government's to have its way. So lots of difficulties mounting up. And um, so if we end up in a situation where perhaps say there is not even a single flight to Rwanda ahead of the next election. James, do you think this is going to start to see uh, those calls uh, for leaving the ECHR grow mm. and potentially a manifesto commitment?
0: Yeah, I definitely think it's going to be an issue that's going to be live throughout all of next year. And I think we're really seeing, you know, kind of jockeying what's going to be put in place in that manifesto for next year. You see Simon Clark came out today, first person, I think, to respond, to Tory MP uh, who served, was quite close to... to Trust and and Boris Johnson as well and he was saying look we now need to consider the ECHR membership You've got people like out voices outside the party like Nigel Farage saying we need to look, to look at our ECHR membership as well and I, I do think it's going to be something that is going to be you know a motivating force on the Tory right and thereafter after the election also something that could play a role in the subsequent leadership contest were Sunak and the Conservatives to lose next year.
1: Do you think it would fix it?
0: No, I don't. I think this is a bit of a Tory
2: fantasy. There is no court that stands above the British courts. Um, Brexit uh, was an event which um, reinforced the fact that the law is whatever Parliament wants to make the law. The problem is that the Human Rights Act passed by Parliament made these, um, basically gave power... To the European Convention of Human Rights, so Sunak will have to pass his immigration bill. If he manages to get that properly, he'll have all the power he needs. There's nothing really stopping In the same way that the civil servants aren't really stopping the Conservatives from governing properly, then the only bad laws they can complain about are laws which they, a majority Tory government, have not managed to clean up. So I um, don't have much sympathy about that. They are in a mess of their own making, and they shouldn't really have launched this Rwanda policy without making clear that they had the legal approval. And if they didn't of passing laws to gets that legal approval.
1: And just finally, James, the Privileges Committee is back, the most talked about committee in town, <laughs> um, this time not for Boris Johnson, coming for Boris Johnson's supporters. What are they found and what does it actually mean in terms of potential punishments or just a war of words against them.
0: Sure, so after a fortnight ago we had that um, 30,000 word report that came out on the Privileges Committee about Boris Johnson. This today is a very much sort of slimmed down, rushed out edition, basically 14 pages at most padded out uh, looking at some of the tweets and and, uh, claims made on television by Boris Johnson's most vociferous supporters about uh, the integrity of that committee. So I think there were eight MPs and a couple of peers as well and basically goes through and it lists this sort of, this, this names and shames and this dirty dozen of cases in which uh, people like Nadine Dorries, uh, Mark Jenkinson, Michael Fabrigan, Brendan Clark-Smith, etc., Jacob Rees-Mogg, criticise the integrity of the committee and its findings. And really what this report is about is it's going to be a vote, maybe next week, we think, either if the government doesn't allow one, the committee will force one in the House of Commons, on whether perhaps to consider some punishment for these MPs who've been named in this report and potentially suspend them as well, uh, with obvious potential ramifications. Uh, I do think that, I mean, Fraser's certainly got views on this, but uh, I do think that some of the cases are perhaps of an overstep like you look, for instance, at the site of the tweet about Mark Jenkinson cited where he says that when the witch hunt had been forgotten, future generation will look back in astonishment. But actually, if you look at his tweet thread what that was about, it doesn't actually specifically refer to the committee. It's just the general witch hunt. So perhaps there's a case, I do think messaging a few Tory MPs today, they think perhaps this was more of a, an overstep than they would have liked.
2: This committee report struck me as the height of pomposity. And um, I mean, these are MPs so obsessed with themselves that they're they're literally committee saying that we can't believe other MPs were rude about us. And it's funny that um, in them trying to literally seek punishment... For MPs who criticise them, they almost are behaving like a kangaroo court. This is what a kangaroo court does. It doesn't tolerate criticism. We all know that this ridiculous, privileges committee uh, is a bunch of MPs who are dressing themselves up as a kind of grand inquisitorial jury. Obviously, it's a political grudge match. So we see here the politics of the playgrounds institutionalized and a whole bunch of politicians way more energized about each other and their fate than they are of the people they're supposed to be representing. It's funny to think that this is still still going on. There are so many more important things to be discussing.
1: Thank you, Fraser. Thank you, James. And thank you for listening.